masculinity the one of the biggest things that's standing in our way at the moment part of the reason this podcast is entitled creativity in football is because if i called it mental health and men i probably have zero men listen to it asking for help is just the first point like just putting that you know that pride behind you we're conditioned with this old school like generational kind of belief system and thank goodness that's changing Welcome to the Never Not Creative Podcast. Just before we start this episode, just a warning around content. There's some explicit language. There's also some retelling of stories that might be distressful for some. This is an episode focused on mental health. If you need any help, please go and get professional support. It's the best thing that you can possibly do. There are helplines on the Mentally Healthy website. So go to mentally-healthy.org and click need help now. And there's lots of helplines there that are ready to help you. So let's get into today's episode. This is part of a mini-series that we're calling Creativity and Football. Yes, it's a trick. If you're a bloke, keep listening. And the reason we want you to keep listening is because this is actually a series about men's mental health in the creative industry. The reason we're doing this is because after a good couple of years now of putting together events, resources, online chats, what we find is is that as soon as we name the mental health, about 90% of people that turn up are female, which is fantastic for all of those women and other genders out there that embrace this chance to be able to talk about mental health. But we want to see more men being able to talk about their mental health. So this is your easy first step in if you haven't done so before. So Creativity and Football the Series begins with an amazing interview with Pete Brennan, who is one of the founders of Heaps Normal. He also runs a brand and design agency called Electric and Analog. And we talk a lot about why Pete is able to kind of be able to come to terms with his mental health now, how he deals with it, and the experiences that he's had in the past. So please listen. Uh, You might find it may even help you and help you to open up as well. We'd love to hear any feedback you have. So please just email hello at nevernotcreative.org or come find us on Discord and we can have a chat. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Never Not Creative podcast. I'm Andy Wright, and this is a special series on football and creativity craftily disguised as men's mental health in the creative industry. If you are a man, don't turn off. We want you to keep listening because uh, that's part of the problem that we're trying to overcome here. And so I'm really happy that Mr. Pete Brennan is able to join me on this episode. Welcome, Pete. Thanks, Andy. Really cool to be chatting with you, mate. And uh, I I guess the reason I invited you is because we've actually talked about mental health a fair amount over the last few years we have you're currently uh well we just talked about off air about all of your um things that you're juggling at the moment you know obviously you're a co-founder of heaps normal you're a founder of electric and analog an agency you've got a third kid on the way you got a dog as well haven't you have you got a dog 
We did. We'd have a bulldog. Yep, named Teddy, who's considered a child in our house. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Part of the family. So, um, yeah. Well, you'll be. Yeah, you'll be joining me in the numbers realm soon. <laughs> so, yeah, like we have talked quite a bit about mental health in the past, but where, like, where does your journey with mental health start? Fourth, I think the realization started about four years ago in the middle of kind of a burnout period of trying to run and grow a branding studio and, you know, having a bit of imposter syndrome and having some issues with business partners and things like that, which is when I reached out to you and was like, Hey, help me. (laughs) I need to take you for a coffee and pick your brain, which you did. And you know, the journey in the last few years for me has been really insightful. It's something that I wasn't aware of growing up. And I'm sure we'll go into this. It's a a pretty long story, but my dad was a pretty abusive alcoholic growing up. When I was a kid, I lost him to suicide when I was 11 years old, you know, have very vivid memories of him kind of, you know, beating up my mom and all sorts of horrible things like that. And, you know, my little brother and I and my mom running down the street, my grandparents picking us up in a car and things like that. So I think there's been that that's been pushed to the side, I guess, maybe growing up as a teenager with a chip on my shoulder and not having a father figure and stuff like that. Mm. And then, yeah, the last few years really started trying to explore, I guess, the whole burnout experience. And that led me down number of different paths from seeing a kinesiologist who had a very big impact on I guess my outlook and then a recent diagnosis of ADHD and and general anxiety disorder amongst other things as well as OCD or CDO in alphabetical order the way I like to call it (laughs) so yeah I'm probably a lifelong student of it but consciously the last maybe three or four years really been taking it seriously and being more aware of how I how I am around it and being more conscious of it and how it affects me on the day to day. And I mean, I guess, first of all, like, thanks for sharing all of the, uh, the details around your family history, of course, because that's pretty, you know, obviously pretty tough to have had to gone through. What was the point when you, when, like, was there a point of, you mentioned about getting diagnosed with ADHD, but there's been, you know, mm. things before that. Was there another point when you were like, oh, you know what, this isn't just me feeling shit or having a bad day but actually maybe there's something else here and was there did somebody prompt you to go get checked out or how did, how did that come about yeah so after you and i spoke so i mean just for some context i think it, it got to a point where i was a couple of years into running a branding studio working ridiculous hours clearly not sleeping enough not looking after my health um, not having any kind of me time and all that kind of stuff and reached out to you and another amazing man like yourself who we know named Nathan Birch and you know I guess taking a bit of the what each of you guys had kind of the advice you'd given me I, I Nathan referred me on to like I said a kinesiologist named Dr. Greg Schreuer who was just amazing and and it's kind of I didn't even know what kinesiology was at the time. I think you better explain it to us now as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's really strange, like, and I'm probably going to butcher it and get it wrong, but, you know, the way he, I guess, treated me was trying to understand the history and the things that I'd been through and then the belief. And look, I'm conscious, I'm prefacing it that, People think this is a little bit woo-woo and kind of witch doctory and all that kind of stuff, which I, I respect other people's opinions on it. But essentially, you know, the I guess the belief that like experiences are stored in your body and can manifest themselves in different pains and reactions and stuff in real life. So it's essentially 
going back to deal with those experiences and seeing how they how they affected you and being conscious of them and realizing that you know a memory that's stored in your subconscious mind can actually manifest in pain in your lower back or you know that kind of thing your like shoulder issues and things like that so just being aware of that and trying to i guess heal those things so you know when i look back at it you know i guess growing up without a dad really uh it really kind of has an effect on a young man, I think. And I grew up with a pretty big chip on my shoulder, you know, super arrogant, always getting into fights, like wanting to win everything, very competitive in everything I did. And then, you know, I guess a sub, what's the word? Like, I guess a result of that or a consequence of that was my brother, Martin and I were, you know, we, we used to fight like cats and dogs and we had, you know, some pretty, pretty full on kind of arguments and turns into boxing matches as brothers do when they're growing up and, you know, revisiting those experiences and why those happened. And then, you know, reaching out to my brother and we, we, you know, we've been good for a long time, but talking about those things to him and trying to get his view on them. And then like really having those uncomfortable conversations where they're no longer this memory in your mind and this foggy kind of yeah, this foggy memory. It's like you're actually talking about them, resolving them and getting his point of view. And, you know, he had regrets about things and I had regrets about things and just coming to the table and, and getting them out in the open and resolving them. And it's um it's been a massive help. And so did the does the kinesiology thing help with does does it make it feel a bit more tangible, like the, the stuff that you're going through? I mean, I guess like being able to associate it to something that's physical, does that does that help? For me it did, because I think I was at a point where I was kind of looking around me going, right, like I love what I do. Like we're a branding and design studio. We build brands for people. It's kind of like such a big passion of mine. I've got a beautiful wife, beautiful, beautiful children, like lovely home, like so content, but like waking up, not wanting to get out of bed. Like, why am I thinking like that? And, you know, exploring that rabbit hole. And there's so many ways to go that, you know, like different diagnoses and like, do you take the, kind of chemical medication route do you do like the more alternative medicine approach do you you know the old school route of sweeping under the carpet and thinking it's not a big thing and just just living with it and you know don't be a wimp and all that kind of old school mentality view in it that we've touched on and um yeah it was just something that i guess was referred to me and i explored and i just felt it really helped me because it just made me think in a different way that i'd never thought about those things before and then when you do kind of go into them and explore them for me at least it, it gave me like it gave me closure on things like crazy example and, and just to call this out i do wear my heart in my sleeve and this isn't a sob story and i'm i'm more than comfortable to talk about these things in the view that if one person gets any benefit from this then you know i'm happy to do it like I, I'm, I'm not sharing these stories for sympathy and stuff but there was one particular moment when um you know i was born in england moved to south africa when i was nine years old and my my dad became a pretty pretty abusive alcoholic like i said and there was one evening in particular whereby my brother and i are in bed it must have been the early hours of the morning and we just heard my mom screaming and we both ran downstairs and my dad in a drunken rage had like you know slammed her head on the bar he built like a pub in our, in our house to drink and and um you know had broken her arm and was like she was screaming so i just ran and picked up the phone and called the police and you know the police came and essentially took my dad away and I'd never thought about that ever again, really. And then, you know, exploring that memory with a kinesiologist and then having that conversation with my brother, he had so much regret around, and he remembered it so vividly. He said to me, like, 
he reminded me of micro details of that moment, like walking into that room where the piano was on the right hand side. There was this particular rug on the floor. There was a curtain that looked like all these little minute details. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I remember those things now that you tell me. And he said to me, I've had so much regret that I stood there and did nothing and you had to go and phone the police and do what you had to do. And he said, you shouldn't have had to do that, but you did do it. And I've like, he's been dealing with that regret and not telling me about it for such a long time, which is like such a weirdly in hindsight, beautiful moment for us to like, you know, we both started crying obviously and like talking about it. We're like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and this awesome moment of like just healing that little thing that we've both carried like for such a long time, you know, like I'm, I'm 41. This happened when I was 10, you know, like 30, 30 years of, of carrying that stuff, you know? And um, yeah, like I think just having, I guess, a system of like someone telling you like, hey, try and frame it like this. Try and look at it from a different angle in a way that you haven't before might be helpful. And I don't think like, you know, like anything, I don't think everything works for everybody. But for yeah. me in that instance, it really did because it just made me kind of revisit it so that I had kind of closure on it. And that was it, you know, put that to bed and put it down as life experience and and yeah. move on. And that was just one of the many things that we've, you know, my brother and I in particular have kind of been through together. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, cause there's, there's chatting with your mates and there's chatting with your family and like, for sure. I know my family is not, not one for chatting and mm. you know, I can imagine how, how hard that must've been, but how kind of cathartic it must be when finally it, oh. it comes out. Man, it's like, it's everything. And bear, like, just for context, like we grew up, we moved to South Africa, like I was nine, he was seven. Yeah. We very quickly got into surfing, competed, we both sponsored as kids. So we had this fierce rivalry growing up that we wanted to kill each other in the water and out of the water, you know? So and to the point where like at that overflowed into different parts of our life, like work, you know, like I got into design, like I studied design after school. So I was always like Apple Mac. He was like, right, I'm, I'm never going to have an Apple Mac. I'm always going to have a PC because you've got an Apple Mac, you know, like that kind of stuff, Yeah, which right. is insane. But like brothers, you know, like things like, you know, when we got older, like the two-year age gap obviously becomes shorter and like, quote, unquote, my friends are now his friends. That caused a thing. Like those are my friends, not your friends. Like what are you doing hanging out with my mates? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, you know? So yeah, lots of lots of those things that just dealing them with them head on and up front and getting them out in the open and talking about them is like the best thing ever, you know. Yeah. I think like, you know, just in this chat, like some of the things that are so good about knowing that there is this story behind you is that these like, you know, these challenges that we have manifest themselves in different ways. And, you know, there might have been and it'd be interesting to chat like how you thought these things manifested themselves when you're at work, for example, mm. um, you know, you mentioned burnout, but also, you know, you can, you can come across people and they're having a bad day or they're, you know, they're irritable or they react over something so small and you just don't know what is pushing their buttons and what's behind all of that. But, and, you know, and then you make decisions about someone at work, which is like, well, you know, we can't work with them. We'll have to let them go or, you know, we need to change the way we do business or, you know, this kind of stuff. For sure. You, I remember when, like when we chatted, there was sort of, you were hit your burnout part, but there were also like signs of, you know, like how this would react in you. Is that, were those some of the things that brought out like needing to go and get, or I guess seeking advice and help? Yeah, very much so. I think, I think it took me probably way too later in life to realize 
how important empathy is around things like that. Like I think particularly in maybe more of an old school workplace that, you know, I was a part of, you know, in, in a previous life or, you know, years ago in, in different, you know, roles in, in different companies, like what you mentioned about, you know, someone at work going through stuff that you're probably not aware of, but you know, when we're put under so much pressure as employees or as business owners for that matter, you kind of, you know, the deadline's more important or, you know, the pitch is tomorrow. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if someone's going through some real heavy stuff on a, on a personal level, like just man up and put it behind you because, you know, a client's going to be at eight o'clock in the morning and we got shit to get done, you know? And I think. And also we know how to deal with that, right? Yeah, fully. Like we've done it a hundred times. We know how to do a pitch it, you know, and finish it off at 2am and we know how to come in at the weekend. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, and, and we've, I think particularly in the creative industry, like, you know, and I'm, I'm conscious that it's, it's getting better. But I mean, like, you know, if I look back at roles in the past, like that was just normal, you know, like, no, you don't, you don't go home at five 30. We've got to pitch tomorrow. You definitely work until midnight at least, but it's okay. Cause you're going to get pizzas and there's Red Bull in the fridge and you can have as many coffees as you like, which is not sustainable as you and I know. But I think, I think just being really conscious of that, you know, we've got a, one of our values within heaps normal is fuck hustle culture. And it's so important because like I, you know, admittedly went to the Gary Vaynerchuk school of don't sleep and work through the night, you know, and hustle, hustle, hustle. And it's, you know, even if you, you look at the content he was putting out 10 years ago, it's very different than what he puts out today. Cause I think he did get a lot of pushback and he did kind of realize, you know, it's maybe not all about that. So, you know, we actually on our Slack channel within heaps normal, we have a, like a, a channel for each of the values and the minute someone does any one of those values like you go on and kind of talk about it you know and, right. and and call them out on it so things like you know i kind of clocked off at 4 30 today because i just wanted to go to the beach like that stuff's encouraged which i think mm. i would never imagine that like I, i've i've been in work environments where it's 5 28 and everyone's counting down the next two minutes so they can leave at 5 30 which mm. if you think about it it's just insane <laughs> right yeah. but it's normal you know it's like it's almost like a, it's almost like putting like a foosball table and a free bar in an office, but it's essentially like a clock in clock out factory kind of thing from the seventies and eighties. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's the, I think it's those types of unwritten norms that have really affected the industry. You know, like sure. it's not written anywhere. No one said that you, you know, you have to work late nights or you have to work weekends mm. or maybe some people have, but it's, it's become expected. And I know like we've been, we've done events where people will say that maybe they've spoken up about this sometimes and the response that they get from their boss is like, well, you know, this is it, suck it up. This is the industry. Maybe it's not right for you. And also, you know, your contract says um, that you'll work, you know, you may have to work more, more hours than what you contracted to as and when they're needed. Clause 19.17 that we didn't give you the time to look at because you had to sign it there and then on the spot. Exactly. Yeah. Or just because we told you it was a standard contract. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is what it's like. So at the point where you got the anxiety diagnosis, what was, can you remember that point? Like what, what was the, like, what steps did you go through to get that? Yeah. So it's really funny because I consider myself like a productivity enthusiast. Like I'm, I read every book from Nia IL um, kind of collection to, you know, I've got like David Allen's getting things done book on my desk right now. Like all those little hacks and systems and, and things like that to, you know, to, to thrive in a high pressure environment where there's a ton of things to do. And it was actually Andy Miller, who's my co-founder, Heaps Normal and our CEO, who, 
the one day and like we we're just having a catch up and he was like we do so we do kind of this uh a daily catch up on on slack where every obviously working remotely with COVID and stuff where everyone is encouraged to and they don't have to but encouraged at the end of the day just put in kind of a, a bit of an update on what they're doing and there's there's kind of three sections to that there's fyis which is obviously just letting you know these things happen today or whatever there's uh intentions so you know intending on doing these three things over the next week or whatever it is and then there's asks which is can someone help me find this or i need help doing that whatever it might be and um he called it up and was just like hey there's been things on your intentions list that have been there for like six weeks and they're probably going to take you 15 minutes to do them like what's going on and that just like hit me in the face like a boxing glove i was just like what and then i kind of thought about it i was like man you're so right so i started kind of researching it and um went down a bunch of rabbit holes on google and youtube as you do and then um and then reached out to a good buddy of ours mr mitch wallace and kind of ran it past him and he was like he just started laughing he's like man you need to go and see someone and gave me a few names of some people some psychologists and stuff to go and see yeah. and um kind of phone them up and they do yeah it's pretty intense they do like a two or three hour session where they go real deep and ideally they like i don't quote me on this but ideally they um or quote me on this because we're on a podcast but you know what i mean <laughs> they need like they need school reports and you know interviews with parents and all that kind of thing like that but like looking back like every school report of mine was like you know tries hard could concentrate better you know is saw a butterfly and, and ran out the room type thing you know so so yeah realized that yeah like adhd is a thing and it's funny because my best mate was well, not funny but my my best friend the guy named bobby cherry was diagnosed when we were growing up in South Africa and was put on Ritalin. And it became like kind of a running joke in our friend group, you know, like, oh, Bob's crazy because he has to have Ritalin. And it was just like taboo drug that like, you know, only crazy kids had. And we, and we, like we said, in a very loving way, you know, but we took the piss out of him quite a lot. And yeah, funny enough, I'm on Ritalin now and from the age of kind of 41 onwards. But yeah, it was just, just going through, you know, that's just – I guess, like I said, wearing, wearing your heart in your sleeve and just really being open and sharing, you know, how you view things. And so I got diagnosed with ADHD. I got diagnosed with OCD, which is kind of a joke, but also not a joke. Like, you know, my, my wife, like if she's got the shits of me, she'll like turn the milk bottle in the fridge backwards. So the front <laughs> label doesn't face the front and she knows it just drives me mad. Yeah. And I think there's obviously different levels of it, but you know, I do check the front door, you know, four or five mm-hmm. times at different intervals before I go to bed to make sure it's yeah. definitely locked. And, and there's, you know, there's some other like weird life experience. I got hijacked once in South Africa and I had a gun stuck in my mouth and they pulled the trigger and stuff like that. So there's that kind of thing, you know, those experiences where, you know, like I get in the car now in, in Sydney where I've lived for the last 10 years in a lovely affluent suburb. And no matter where I am, no matter what time of day I get in the car, the doors, the door lock is the first thing I do no matter what. And it's just like ingrained in me, you know, but like realizing that those experiences of, and, you know, maybe there's a bit of, you know, nature versus nurture argument to be had there as well. You know, whether those things are hereditary and stuff, the older I get, I think, you know, if my dad committed suicide, there was probably some mental health issues there before mental health was a term and, and a thing that people thought about and spoke about. So I have to consider that. So for me, it was just kind of really looking back and trying to look at it like from a almost like from an outsider's perspective about why things like that happen you know alcohol is another one like i've never had a good relationship with alcohol like i was at that dude in london you know in my 20s growing up moved back to the uk when i was like 20 who you know i just 
you know, go for a pub lunch at, on Monday at 11 in the morning and just, you know, would, yeah, would, would wake up on Tuesday and not know what happened and things like that, which was, which, you know, we would joke about was called the fear, you know, at the time and it was all funny and, you know, but looking back, like it wasn't funny and it was not good. And, um, you know, God knows what could have, what could have happened. Thankfully, nothing too serious did happen, but just being aware of that. So I haven't had a drink in, you know, this, most of this year, I haven't had a drink now and since I think Feb, you know, starting a non-art beer company was a big driving force around that as well. So for me, it's just been like, just being conscious and looking at from, from your narrow-minded conditioned point of view and trying to think about why these things have happened and how you can stop them happening. Mm. And that's already helped me. Yeah. And how did you feel? I know like when I got diagnosed that there's like all this stuff goes through your head. Like the first one that went through my head was like, oh, you're broken. You know, like there's no, there's no hope. This is what, this is who you are. This is, you know, you, all of these things. And like you said, like you go back and you try and pinpoint like, what was it? You know, I think yours were, I guess, a fairly self-explanatory really. But for me, you know, I find it quite hard to, I guess, sort of go, all right, so I've got this and, you know, what does that mean? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? And it's funny for me, I started to basically just turn it into a project. And it's almost why, you know, a lot of the work that I do now is sort of around mental health. For sure. Or certainly outside of the day job anyway. But even that is actually we're trying to pull it in to go, hey, how do we create healthier products? But the thing I guess that I'm love to like chat about a little bit more is in other people's reactions to it. Because I talked about my, I got diagnosed and within about, I don't know, four or five weeks, I think I was asked to do a presentation at Creative Mornings and the presentation was on the theme of risk. And I thought, oh, you know, nothing more risky than coming out and telling everyone that I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And you know, I told my business partners like a couple of days before so that, you know, they know it was happening, but for everybody else, basically they, they had no idea. And so, and this was, I don't know, like a good five, probably five or six years ago now. Um, when again, you know, still we weren't quite at that stage of having discussions like this. Mm, for sure. And I remember like the, the reactions are what will always stay with me. There were some people after that presentation come up straight away and they're like, oh my God, I've been feeling like this. You know, thank you for sharing. I'd love to have a chat, coffee, all that kind of stuff. But then there were also people who, you know, you'd see every day and never mention it again. And there were so many times, I think, and I'm glad that things have improved since that point, but there were so many times back then where I almost kind of regretted telling people about it. And you, I think you're quite, comfortable now talking about it but do you have any of those sort of similar feelings as you as you went through that process of, of letting people know yeah massively i think first of all just to call out those people that you're talking about you probably don't want to spend any time with them going forward <laughs> calling out the obvious but yeah like totally i mean and i think you know the obvious thing is the old school call it the old school mentality of what that's like you know like if you talk to like an old man in a pub right now, you know, and I'm stereotyping obviously, but like, you know, 
you're a pussy if you talk about your feelings, you know, you, men don't cry, like all that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, we get it with non-art beer, we settle non-art beer, you know, I mean, old men go, that's not a beer, get out of here, you know what I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. we're conditioned with this old school, like generational kind of belief system, and thank goodness that's changing because of people like you doing what you do, which I'm so grateful for, man, like, I'm so grateful that you, I'm so grateful that you've given me this platform to starters, but I'm so grateful that you have the platform, like, even if it wasn't, if, if I wasn't, you know, talking to you, and other people like, you know, like Nathan and, and Mitch and other people that talk about this stuff but i think it is you know it's one of those things where there is this kind of taboo thing around it but i've found like the way to deal with that is to and i don't say this in a macho way at all i say this in a genuine way is to l genuinely not give a shit what people think and i really mean like when i say not in a macho not like oh, i don't give a shit what you think i mean like i genuinely don't care like if, if this isn't for you that's totally on that's your thing it's not going to bother me at all and it's it's like it's weird because when we first met at the design or we were chatting at the design conference in brisbane a few years ago when the guys from snask were there do you remember the guys from sweden yeah, yeah, they're yeah. such rock stars they're awesome yeah and i was chatting to to freddie afterwards and he was telling me about the book that i bought their book and it's called make enemies and gain fans and that whole that whole kind of premise is so true in everything that we do you know like we like I talk about that when we build brands at electric and analog, like you can't be everything to everybody yeah. and you have to stand for something. And, you know, like anything, there's going to be people that don't believe you or don't like you or don't, you know, agree with what's going on. And there's going to be people that really love you and, and resonate with you and completely understand and want to be on your team, so to speak. And that's, I think that's true from building a brand mm -hmm. to being a human being, you know, and it's like, for me, like there was the pride thing of like, oh shit, what are people going to think? Like, you know, but it's like really like if that, if you can't understand, like we've all been through different experiences and deal with them different ways and have that empathy thing that we were talking about earlier, we're probably just not going to be friends or hang out or understand each other. And that's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Like I, we can't hang out with everybody and be mates with everyone. Like we're going to, you know, pick our little tribe and, you know, and I think that whole thing for me, you know, it comes through into even like auditing your circle of people that you spend time with. You know, I've got such an amazing friend, like kind of circle. Admittedly, most of them are overseas and, and we're all kind of, you know, getting older and family men and people and all that kind of stuff like that. But I've also got friends that, you know, I've had to have the uncomfortable conversation myself and be like, you know what, when I hang out with that person, they just complain about everything all the time. It brings me down. I'm trying to be optimistic and positive. I've got enough of my own shit going on probably not going to spend much time with you and then literally going out of my way to not be around that person mm. even though they're a friend you know if they need me for anything i've been there at the drop of a hat but i'm not going to hang out and have a coffee and a lunch with you when you're just going to sit there and moan about how shit life is when you know you're not in afghanistan and getting raped and pillaged you know you've, you've just had a, a bad surf <laughs> and that's mm. going to like ruin your day and make you complain about everything so i think back to the question like I initially did have some weird kind of feelings around it. But now, like I said, I've got to that point where I don't really care. Like, you know, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got, like you said, two beautiful kids, a third on the way. Like I'm so content in where I am in my life at the moment. And I want to make sure that the relationships that I have with people, whether they're work colleagues or business partners or friends or whatever those people are to me, are like good, healthy relationships with people that I appreciate and they appreciate me and we just get each other and there's that mutual respect that we've all been through different things and deal with different things different ways and that's okay you know mm. 
I think some of what you said there is like it's often things that come up in therapy, comes up in um, asking for a friend quite a bit, actually. For sure. Which is you can't control what other people think. For sure. And that one of the biggest things for your mental health is being able to control, you know, understanding what you can control and, and what you can't. And I think like, yeah, you're right. Like that stuff of, I'm always a bit conflicted because I find that stuff of like the, you know, the people that didn't, you know, that wouldn't talk about it or, or would never, you know, just ignored it and wouldn't mention it again. It's like, yes, you're right. Like you don't need those people in your life. But at the same time, there's always like this, I think there's this, maybe this stirs something up in them. Do you know what I mean? That they can't handle sure. that conversation. Yeah. I think that's, that's often the thing that we, you know, might stop us from trying to have conversations is that, you know, you're not sure of what the reaction you'll get from somebody else. And I think I'm, it's like the classic airplane thing, isn't it? Of like, you've got to fit your own oxygen mask before you can help somebody else. And I, I feel like I'm in a position most days where I can, you know, I can help other people, but, um, yeah, it's, I think being able to try and understand that concept of like, you can't control everything, which I was a big, I've always wanted to be in control, you know, <laughs> like mm, I want to be, sure. be able to be in control of what's going on so that I can kind of manage it and deal with things as they happen. But then, yeah, it's a, it can be a real, a real struggle when you just don't get it back from people. I think, you know, the irony of like what you just said there, like for me at least, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but I was on the other side of that for a long time as well you know mm. like i was the person in the office place gossiping because that person got upset about something and like oh you know what a what a wuss all that kind of stuff you know and it's and it's only through actually going through that myself and then investing the time and the effort and the money and the energy into like really trying to figure it out that i'm feel like i'm you know i've crossed over the line to the other side so to call it and by no means a master like still heaps of work to do on it for myself but you know, just in a way better place of, you know, where I am, you know, just being a, in a way better place of like more understanding, more empathetic as opposed to, and I think, and I also think it comes with age, you know, like being a young 20 something kind of, you know, a chip on your shoulder, you, you don't give a shit, you know, you, you're very selfish and so, well, I was at least self-centered and, you know, what could I get out of this whole thing as opposed to like, how can I help that person and add value to what they're going through, which for me just comes with age and experience. You know, I kind of wish someone had told me about that earlier because I was a dick growing up, man. I was such a dick. Like I was always getting in fights with people and always arguing and just shocking, you know. Now it's like, yeah, I'll uh, I'll walk away from an argument at any opportunity or try to look yeah. at it from a different point of view and try to find a solution as opposed yeah. to standing my ground and being stubborn about it. I mean, there's a lot, isn't there, around the expectation of a, of a man, like you said, like, you know, you're supposed to be able to put up a fight. And obviously you had quite a bit of that, you know, growing up. Is it like, do you think is, is masculinity the, one of the biggest things that's standing in our way at the moment? Cause I can tell you, you know, we'll put on an event. And if I put the names, part of the reason this podcast is entitled creativity and football yeah, man, is because if I called it mental health and men, I, I probably have zero men listen to it apart from you and me and yeah maybe a couple of our mates and probably quite a few women would listen to it yeah but and if we put on an event you know it's 95 percent women it's five percent men we've been given presentations in agencies big like decent ad agencies around uh sydney the one in new zealand and you and you watch like the people that turn up if it's about mental health they'll all be women 
And so there's, there's this fear factor for men when it comes to either they think it's not for them, it's not relevant, or there's something there that, you know, we're worried about when it comes to like, oh my God, will I be asked to open up? For sure. What are your, like, you've got mates and stuff mm. that now you can talk to. How's that been? Yeah, it's, look, it's been fine. Like I think about, like, I think, I think the male pride element is like a huge factor in this, right? Because like, I never really had it growing up probably because I had like a loving mom and, you know, from the age of kind of 11 onwards, didn't have a dad. And, but, you know, I definitely have, I've definitely grown up with friends who's, you know, I look back and their dads were hardcore with them, man. Like, you know, like competing in surfing events and you know dad standing on the end of the pier screaming and then shouting at them for losing and then if they cry they're like wimps and wussies and you know why they're doing that and man up and stop being a baby and all that stuff but i think man we're living in like the best time ever to be dealing with this at the moment you know like look at what we're going through like alcohol-free drinks that's not a plug for heaps normal by the way heapsnormal.com everybody you know uh, you know non-alcoholic drinks meat-free burgers you know cannabis making a like a on the verge of being legalized. Like it's such an exciting time to be alive. Like not to mention the mental health conversations that are going on. And I think, you know, it's just conditioning for me. It's like, if you think about it in a different, a different realm, like smoking cigarettes, man, that was cool at one point. That was like John Wayne and Steve McQueen smoked cigarettes. Like you had to be, only the cool kids smoke cigarettes. You know, yeah. now it's like when I lived in London in my twenties, I smoked cigarettes and I would, you know, when we rocked up, here to Sydney, I remember going down to Manly at the beach where we live and lighting up a cigarette and people looked at me like I had a third leg sticking out of my forehead. Like, what was I doing, you know? And that, you know, I haven't smoked for years. I, I quit a long time ago but when I became a, a father in particular. But like those kind of habits and those things that we're conditioned are like being spoken about. Like money, for example. Like we, you know, I run a branding studio. Like for the first few years, we wouldn't talk about money until the end of the conversation after a week of negotiating about what the output was going to be. And then we'd mention a figure and it'll be too expensive or it wasn't didn't land where their client wanted to land and we wouldn't work together. Now it's the first thing I ask about. Mm. And it, it, people, a lot of people are like, what? And it's like, well, because we're taught not as kids, you don't talk, you don't ask someone how much money they earn. You don't know, you, you don't have those conversations. It's rude, you know? But now it's like, I'm going to ask, that's going to be in the first three questions in the first five minutes of our conversation, because I don't want to waste your time or my time talking about what we could do and all this stuff when we're not aligned on that thing, which is a really important thing to talk about. And I think that's like, you know, that's where this whole, you know, this male pride thing comes in. We've just been taught not to be pussies, so to speak, you know, not to put it lightly, but you know, I feel like we're really breaking that mold at the moment. And I'm excited for Mikey, like my little boy Lex is, is four. Like the thought of him not having to deal with that whole kind of genre of shit growing up, like is exciting because he can, he can, you know, wear his heart in his sleeve like I try to do and, and just be honest and upfront and hopefully not have to deal with the stuff that a lot of us growing up in our generation. God, I sound old. I sound like my granddad. Mate, we are. I think we are old. I came to that realization <laughs> recently when my son beat me on something at Xbox and then fixed one of the things on the computer that I couldn't do. I think that's the official definition of, uh, of old. Oh, man. You're geriatric if that's happening. Yeah, yeah. And he's very proud of it as well. <laughs> yeah, he'll rub your nose in that for a long time. Yeah, get one over on your old man. <laughs> So how do you, what about like your friends now? Have you, because you've obviously been through so much, how do you approach a conversation with someone that's not, you like you might be worried about? Just encourage the, 
you know, the sharing the story and being open and honest, you know, it feels like it was interesting because we came through with Heaps Normal, we came through Startmate, the accelerator program run by Blackbird. And one of the things that stuck with me a lot was, and this is obviously within this context is very much a, a business thing, but it's like, if there's something that you think is impossible to do in your business, there's going to be someone within the network that does that shit with their eyes closed and can do it for you in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And thinking of it like that, as opposed to going like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Researching, spending days and days and days on end trying to do something that you've never done before when you can actually phone a friend of a friend who's going to put you in touch with one of their mates who's actually, yeah, I can do that quickly now. I'll get it to you by the morning. I think like that principle, bringing that into like, with mates and stuff like that is a really important thing. So yeah, I just did, I just encourage, you know, my friends and or anyone listening really just to talk about that stuff because it's very rare that you're going to be the first person going through something. You know what I mean? Like it's like, um, I got a good friend in London named Carl Addy, who's a, a creative director at the mill in London. And he was a speaker at semi-permanent once and he was staying with us. And I was like, Oh man, don't you get like worried, like nervous about going up on stage and doing your talk. And he said this line that I'll never forget. And I use it a lot, but he said, he said, stupider people have done more with less. And it was like this mic drop. I was like, Oh my God, that's so good. And I just like, I think about that a lot because it's true. Like you, you know, there are people that are worse off than you that have had a very worse situation have come through it and got, and yeah. you know, got out the other side. So I think it's important to just encourage people to, you know, be open and upfront and get out in the open because, you know, it's that old adage, like a problem shared is a problem halved, right? It's really true. Yeah. That's the huge thing I think is, and I think that's really the message, the point of like this series even, and like having these conversations is that there's a very good chance that if you can find a way to open up and to talk about something to someone that they will have experience with it for sure you know we found that in the mentally healthy research more than half of us have shown signs of anxiety and depression i think a third of people had been to see a psychiatrist in the last year 80 percent of people had talked to a friend or family member about their mental health like if you turn to the right and you don't get a good answer mm. turn to the left and you probably will yeah but let me guess, no one wants to talk about that stuff, right? Because it's like secret. Uh, no. Well, we're, this is the thing is like, we actually want people to open up to us, but we're not necessarily exactly. going to open up to them. And yeah. I think, you know, the more we can actually start to go, hey, you can have that conversation and, you it's know, okay. someone will understand. And in fact, you know, they could be crying out for you to have that mm. conversation with them because it'll help them have a similar conversation with you. Like I know I've been on, and, and this is like, I, I'm, it's funny because, it's not funny, but I still, I'm in that position still now. Like there'll be times when I just don't want to talk, you know? And so you, you know, you, you bottle something up and you keep it up, but, or then you'll have an interaction with someone. And I can't remember who I was talking about this with the other day, but you'll have an interaction with someone and you'll drop something into the conversation as like a, right, that's your chance. Yeah. You should ask me something now <laughs> about this. Cause I'm ready to open up. Take the bait, take the bait. And <laughs> And they don't take it because they have no yeah. idea what it is that you're dropping yeah. in the middle there. Um, <laughs> you're ready to talk. And, you know, some of those things are like actually, it, you know, being upfront, like you said, being genuine, being honest, like being, being able to say that, hey, you know, someone doesn't, isn't going to be able to take your little clues and hints. This is the time actually to take that step forward and go, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And someone will, will probably be able to react. And if not, they'll just listen. Man, you'd, you did that to me. That was ex literally what you're just saying is, was me and you. Like I, like, I, mean, I don't know how much you remember about that, but I was, um, yeah, I was like, 
burnt out like yeah. didn't want to be here anymore and like someone told me to reach out to you and i reached out to you cold and we didn't know each other at the time this is about four years ago now if yeah. i remember correctly and you just you know i came and met you down at the pier in piermont and we sat and had a coffee and you just let me just unload on you and then you told me what you thought was the best thing to do and then kind of you know went and saw a doc and got better you know what i mean like it's exactly what you just said is what happened with you and me yeah. And it's not rocket science. I mean, for anyone who thinks I've just turned into some sort of sage, it's like, <laughs> go and see a doctor. Like that's what they're there for. <laughs> you know? But you, you need that from someone. You need that support you to do. say, hey, look, this is what you're supposed to do. And You are, you are a bit, a bit Gandhi-ish, to be fair, Gandhi-ish. <laughs> I'm actually uh, I'm well shaved at the moment, I must admit. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, Gandhi, not Gandalf. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, but the yeah the thing I often find as well is like, and it, it, I see this as like good and bad. Like that in one way, it's good that you can literally go into the doctor and you can walk out with a mental illness, right? Like you can you go see them and you fill out a form and they go, yeah, you've got anxiety, and um, or you've got depression, and you walk out and you know. But the good thing is is that that's the place to walk out with it. They'll put a plan in for you. You'll get all the support. You'll have access to free mental health sessions. And I think like the other bit that I guess we're trying to dispel here is, is that like going to see a therapist is not a bad thing. It's really just like going to see a personal trainer. You know, being, exactly. it's not that, you know, you're completely broken and there's no way that, you know, anyone's going to be able to ever deal with you again. And in fact, it's even better to go and see them when you're doing well. Exactly. Because that's when you can, you know, you can be helped with things even more. Well, it's like, I mean, it's like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you take your car for a service because the service is due. Like mm -hmm. if you don't take your car for a service and then it breaks down and then you take it to get fixed, it's probably too late and it's ruined. You know, it's the same. It's a similar principle. You know, it's, um, I think just asking for help is just the first point, like just putting that kind of like, you know, that pride behind you, you know, and it's, it's weird because it's, it is, it's uncomfortable, right? Like it's, you're doing something that you're not used to do. I never forget, like we, God, I, I don't mean to keep talking about surfing as a kid and I, and you know, I'm certainly no elite athlete, but you know, we went to a sports psychologist once for like a, a national champs thing and we did this whole like kind of visualization of winning and all this kind of stuff. And he said at the end of it, he was like, Oh, do you want to have any questions? And it was like the whole team was there and I was like, Oh man, I got this thing and I don't know how to talk about it. And, and eventually I was like, yeah, I got this thing. And like, I said it real softly. And I said, I do this thing whereby like, particularly on the morning of a competition, like if I'm running down to the beach or whatever, if I see something in the path, like a leaf, I'll say to myself, if I go the left way around, I'm going to win, you know? And as soon as I said that, everyone in the room, like, oh, I do that too. I like, everyone was like doing the same thing. So he said, all right, like, and he explained the whole thing. And I can't remember the time I was like 14, but there was like a term for it, whatever it was. And, and he said, what you have to do is like, when you catch yourself doing that, you do the exact opposite. And then you'll realize over time that it, it's just a thing in your head. It doesn't matter. So I was like, sweet. And I remember like a few days later, running down, saw something. It was a can in the way or some whatever it was. And and I said, oh, if I go the left way. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to go the right way. And I was just, and I went against the grain and went the right way. And I ran down like 100 meters down this ramp to the beach. And I was sitting on the beach and I put my leash on my, on my ankle. And I got into the water and I was like, nah, I can't. And I had to run back, take my leash off, run all the way back up 100 meters up the hill to go the left way around 
the thing that I said, like, and it's this weird thing that you just have to go through that and then realize the more like, and then I, when I tell people about that, they're like, oh, I do that all the time. And it's this, and there's actually a thing for it. And this is how you deal with it and be aware of it and stuff like that. So yeah, we're all, I think we're all, we're all weirdos. Well, I definitely am. Yeah, but. yeah, exactly. I've, I've been having a thing probably for about the last year and a half, which is like, if I make a good coffee in the morning, it'll be a good day. Oh man. You know, like I get the art right. And, that's uh, a gamble, man. That's a big gamble. I know, because then you want to fuck it up. It's not- <laughs> day over. Go back to bed. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Exactly. So um, let's wind it up. Like, how are you doing now? Fantastic, man. How's, how's things? It sounds like you're in a really good place. Yeah, I am. I'm not sleeping enough. I'm very conscious of that. Um, I yeah. invested in this thing called an aura ring. O u r a ring. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Um, what's the word commissioned, but it, this has been a game changer for me because it's like a smart ring and, and you, every morning I wake up and it tells me the quality of my sleep and all that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely not sleeping enough, but I'm good. I'm really good. I'm uh heaps normal is going well. Electric and analog is going well. I think for me, like with work stuff, it was realizing that work doesn't have to be work. Like if you're gagging for the weekend, you're doing the wrong thing for work. Like I genuinely like Monday mornings, my most exciting time of the week because I just love yeah. what we do. And yeah, the family's good. My kids are healthy. My wife's very pregnant and complaining a lot. I hope she doesn't listen to this, but I think I'd be complaining more if I had a little human inside me. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really well, man. And I'm just grateful to you for yeah all your help on a personal level and all your advice. I think it's I think you don't quite comprehend what a an effect you have on people, which is pretty cool and i wish people would say that about me one day and i love what you're doing with the podcast and everything else you do in the mental health space i think it's awesome and just super stoked to be to be chatting with you thanks mate well i mean that that means a lot so it's hard to take compliments isn't it but the well i'm gonna tell you what you've done for me heaps normal because i think i was telling you this at tdc I've developed somebody intolerance to alcohol. You know, both to the point where, like, if I have a normal beer, I just come up with a rash, and I get you know stomach problems and all this kind of stuff. And so mm. it's it's funny because actually, it's actually a real then like social issue. Fully. So I play football on a well, not recently, but I played football on a Saturday, and when the beers come out at the end of the game, you're like, oh no, sorry, I can't have one. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, the boring guy over there is not drinking. <laughs> I hurt my ankle. I got to go <laughs> as soon as the first beer is cracked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like, you know, over the fence during lockdown for, you know, drinks and stuff. And yeah. And heaps normal just allows you back into that environment. Like allows you back into that conversation. Sure. I think, you know, people know it's not a beer. Well, it is a beer. No, it's got no alcohol in it. And even at TDC, yeah, you know, like we, it felt quite weird cracking them at like 10.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, we've actually found this sort of interim of like until society gets to the point where, yes, if you're not drinking, it's okay. You can have this like this little magic device, this little magic can that allows people to go, oh, yeah, well, we're all having a beer, we're all having a drink and everything's great. Uh, yeah, you don't feel alienated. That's made a huge difference to me, honestly. Oh, I'm stoked, man. I wear your T-shirt at least once a week. It's in my regular rotation. Oh, amazing. Thank you, man. I'm grateful. And uh, there's heaps normal in the in the fridge. Well, I'll have to get some more in the fridge. I'll get some more sent out to you pronto. <laughs> well, uh, thanks very much. It's been an awesome conversation. I'm stoked because this series is, you know, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. Awesome. I'm hoping what we've done is let other men know that one, 
you know, you can reach out to us if you like, because we've got experience in this now, or you can reach out to each other or a mate or like whoever it is that you need, but like, don't hide it away. If you see an event about mental health, go find out a little bit more about it. hundred percent. Let people know about this. And uh, yeah, and on the subject of empathy, which you mentioned earlier, if you go to bit.ly slash different dash shoes, or just go to nevernotcreative.org slash empathy. That's probably easier, isn't it? <laughs> you can go take our survey. We're doing a big research piece into empathy at the moment. We're trying to find out why our industry is crying out for more empathetic leaders. And so we're trying to understand empathy better, what it means to people, how it's exhibited, how it's not. And um, yeah, we'll be providing resources and uh, write-ups afterwards about how to. We're actually even... Um, we're case studying it with five businesses as well in the next month. So we'll have some uh, amazing, pretty interesting findings, I think, to come out. I'm going to go and do it straight after this. Excellent, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pete Brennan, Heaps Normal, Electric and Analog. Great friend. Thanks, mate, for doing this. Thanks, Andy. So cool to chat, man. Hope you enjoyed that episode of our mini series, Creativity and Football. Yes, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but hopefully. If you're a guy, you listened along and whoever you are, hopefully that you found something of value and the ability to be able to just even maybe talk a little bit more to somebody else as a result of hearing Pete's stories. If you're interested in understanding this topic a little bit more, we are actually doing some research into empathy at the moment. So if you go to nevernotcreative.org empathy, go take the survey because we're looking globally at what empathy means for creative leaders and people in the creative industry and how we can improve people's understanding of it as well. So please go check out nevernotcreative.org empathy. If you liked this episode, please share it. Please hit a review button or something, whatever, wherever you're listening to it. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Before we go, a big thank you to Streamtime. Just head on to streamtime.net for project management software for creative businesses. So invoicing, quoting, time tracking, scheduling, everything you need to do to run a creative studio. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.